Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, State Farm, and WeatherTech. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Hey, Alec Webb, thank you very much. And welcome one and all to MotorWeek podcast number 162. And up in the sound studio A today with me is Brian Robinson, our writer-producer. Hello. Our online contact coordinator, Craig Carlos. Talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Okay, over the edge reporter Zach Maskell. John Davis is a legend. <laughs> yeah, right, in his own mind. And FYI reporter Lauren Morrison, fresh in from Florida, and she's a newlywed. We have a lightning round. We have a viewer question. We'll see if anyone has a rant and rave, but first, let's get to the cars. Brian Robinson, you're back from a Cars.com luxury sedan challenge. Give us the lowdown. Um, yes, small uh, luxury sports sedans, all the typical players, as well as the new one, obviously Alfa Romeo Giulia, and a couple surprises. Uh, out of seven cars, BMW 3 Series came in sixth. Really? That's probably the big surprise. Alfa Romeo Giulia, the newcomer, came in second. Um, was? Not really a surprise, the Audi A4. Uh, we gave that our best sports sedan driver's choice award back in December, and right. it was one of the easiest uh, decisions we made. I don't think there was hardly any debate. Everyone was. What were the parameters? These were all the two liter turbos? Uh, just $55,000 was the price cap. Uh, they could send anything. Uh, they wanted, but they were all two-liter turbos, all automatics, mix of rear and all-wheel drive. Um, but A4, it's if you look down the scores, it never got a 10 in anything probably mm. on a scale of 1 to 10, but almost everything was 7, 8, 9, 7, 8, 9, whereas other cars would get a couple 10s, but they'd be scattered in with two threes and 4s. So um, probably doesn't do any one thing particularly the best of this group, but does everything really, really, really well. And it has a gorgeous interior. Uh, you know, gorgeous, if you got yep. to spend a time in some one of these cars, it's the nicest. Very upscale and comfortable, and all the tech uh, was easy to use. And it's surprisingly quick. It was the second fastest in 0 to 60s hmm. than to the Alfa Romeo. Both so, of them, those two were way quicker than everything else. All of these were rear drive, or did they? No, some all-wheel drive. The Audi mm -hmm. was obviously all-wheel drive. Mm -hmm. The Julia was all-wheel drive. Ben's all-wheel drive. And I think the rest were rear-wheel drive. Hmm. Uh, the XE finished in front of the 330i. That surprised me a little bit. Do you remember why? Um, it was really— we I had like a, the XE, but— yeah, We had a uh, handling course set up, and it felt really good through there. I mean, when we tested it, we were kind of surprised at how, how well it handled. Yeah. Uh, but even in that, we had a tight autocross, uh, autocross setup. Man, just a blast through there. Any comments from anybody else? Were you surprised just, at any of these I, results? The Audi does not surprise me at all. And um, like the said, Mercedes doesn't surprise me beating the BMW. But I just think it's it's kind of showing you a sign of the times now that you have an Italian uh, Alfa Romeo and an American ATS and a and British, British XE beat a BMW yeah. 3 Series. And the 3 Series is like the staple in this yeah. segment. I mean, they set the benchmark for many years, but pretty much everybody uh, is beating them, whether it comes to interior refinement like the A4, just overall handling like most of them, steering feel, you know, stuff like that. It just It's not as a fun car to drive anymore as it used to be. After all their effort 
to um, boost their performance image. I'm a little surprised, I guess, that Lexus was last, uh, the uh, IS200T. It was it was an older design, probably one of the oldest mm. there. Uh, just rear-wheel drive, but slow uh, on the quarter mile. It was almost a, a th- or almost a half a second slower than everything else. That engine, that's an old 2-liter turbo. All these others are kind of the newer gen, where you're 240, 280 horse for the Alpha. Uh, you know, that was barely over 200 horsepower, old school two liter. So that, that was part of it. And just not a comfortable car without really handling that great either. So. Let me ask this question of everybody go around the room. Okay, these are the results. But if you had the money and you were going to buy one, which one would you buy? Ooh. Because that's, that's, buy the ATS. that's a difference. You'd buy the ATS. Really? Lauren, any pick? That. I kind of hmm. like the, the Audi. I, I okay. think, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm out. We were doing sound bites while we were testing, and that's what I said during the test. Uh, no, I, I probably would go the Audi, but I would actually, I really like that C class. I, I like the C class a lot. Yeah, I thought C, I was going to be the wrong choice. Car. I think it would be between the Audi and the C class for me. Probably, probably get the C class. Curious to drive. We had the Quadrifoglio, but I'd like to drive a different Julia and see what that's like. My only problem with the two liter Julia is once you get away from the Quadrifoglio, it just looks so ordinary. Yeah. It just looks, and, and that's the problem I've got with the Jag XE. But interesting test. Now we'll cover the top four mostly on our uh, tests, but uh, and you can we'll find run down through everything, we'll yes. run, especially the track stuff. We'll go through all that. But the complete stats and all are at cars.com. So see the pictures on motorweek.org and uh, get the stats from cars.com. Thanks, Brian. All right. Welcome, John. You're <laughs> moving right along. 2017 Aston Martin DB11. Well, first reaction is, what a beautiful car. Can't miss that thing driving wow. down the road. That's a car that you stop and look at. And it's, keep it's looking that at pretty, it. Yeah, it's like that cars, pretty. You're going to stare at it for a little bit it, and it was figure sculpture. out what the heck it is. I have to say, it's probably one of the most beautiful cars we've ever had here. It, it was stunning. It still oh. looks stunning. I didn't get a chance to drive it, but just I love the fact that they don't put any badges or logos on everything. It's just an Aston Martin. Everyone knows what it is. They don't need to know. You don't need to see DB11 all over the side to know what it is. Still a V12. Awesome. It drove terrifically. I mean, it was um, you. The engine had the, that wonderful growl that you can only get from a V12. Uh, it handled, of course, quite well. Although I didn't push it on the uh, the back roads around here. But you felt like you were in an elegant supercar. And, you know, in that price range, you know, 150 to 200, a lot of the cars are basically fast. A lot of them can be a little bit uh, crude on the street. This was elegant. And I can't think that we've said that about anything else in that particular price class. Um, I noticed on the interior, you can tell it's hand built because not everything was perfect. Far from it. But again, that was kind of the aura of the car. Yeah, I think you hit it pretty much right on the head with Elegant. Um, if I had to find one spot to complain about, I might say that it is the engine. Um, very strong engine, but I I don't like how this is a Grand Tour first and foremost. So I don't really like how when you get a twin turbo engine, you get all that power mm-hmm. right away. Like a hammer. Which I don't like. Yeah, I don't really want that in this car. I mean, it's it's fun to hit the gas and, and have it go. That's not traditionally European. European is right. usually yeah. you know, more of a and, gradual. And it's, you know, it's fun under a controlled circumstance, but I got out onto a road and I got into it, and then traction kicked in immediately. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of, like a, of, let's say, like an M6, where you can't even touch the throttle without that little amber traction light flashing on and off so that was my one bone to pick with it other than that though i had 
I thought it was a really, really nicely done car. Any impressions, Zach? Too much power for me. Too much power for me. I didn't get to drive it, so I don't know. It was pretty spectacular. So it was you, me, Brian. Did you drive? I never. I didn't get a chance. To Who drove it? Just you it? and me. You, me, and Ben. And then uh, just Roberts, the maybe. Yeah. yeah. No, I basically a, just did a sound bite. It wasn't here very long, but it was no. quite a spectacular vehicle. One Came I right from the Preakness. Came right from the Preakness. Did it win? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All 600 oh, horses. Brian. All right, let's move on to uh, a, a vehicle that uh, may evoke a little bit different emotions from everybody. The 2017 Range Rover Evoque Convertible. <laughs> this one's different. I'm sorry. Like I, I just can't get, wrap my hands around this you know the the newer crop of uh, SUV convertibles, and I'm not talking about things like a Wrangler. Anywho, what is the newer crop? Well, this, this stands what alone. Was what was yeah. the well? What the was Murano, the uh, the Murano? Right. Yeah, that's gone. It came well, away. I know it's gone, yeah. but I'm thinking you know I that was just like really, but okay, I can understand though if this is where the market is because everybody wants an SUV, then why not? Beyond that, <laughs> if, I, if you're watching, you can see all of our faces. <laughs> no, I th- for what it is, a convertible crossover, uh, a small convertible crossover. I thought they did a good job with the execution of it. It looks cool. I mean, it's not something that I would ever buy, or particularly yeah. looks cool, but it's per- not something particularly I would even buy. enjoy driving. But I think as far as making what they had to start with, making it into what they did, I thought they did an excellent job. With it. Structurally, how was it? I mean, I I did not actually. This is my turn to say I didn't. Actually, I drove it when it was first here, but I didn't drive it when it came back the second time. So I recall as it being actually being surprisingly rigid for it considering was at slower speeds. Uh, if you hit, you know, crank up the speeds and hit some bumps, there was some shake there mm-hmm. uh, that you wouldn't get There's in the regular. There's no crossbody reinforcement. I mean, that's visible anyway. Mm-hmm. There's plenty, I guess, underneath the skin. But like, there's no roll bar or anything else sitting back there to help. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, it'll uh, certainly get some people <laughs> talking about it. I mean, we're here. We are talking Hello, about it. I remember anybody when anybody here. I remember when it was uh, when it was debuted and thinking this this could be cool. And I will say that this the original design of the Evoke was kind of conducive to a convertible. Anybody, anyway, if you could say that about a crossover. Um, it's still, I think the styling still holds up for it. And if mm-hmm. you're actually, I think it looks better as a convertible. Yeah. I mean, two door, it looks, you know, it's a nice looking car. And it's, again, not for me, but, uh, if, if you're looking for something, you know, that you just want to take out and enjoy the weekend, then sure. Truly why not? Different. I would almost compare this to, Mer- to the Mercedes CLA, uh, especially like when it first came out. Cause mm-hmm. everybody was kind of like, I understand it's not a convertible, but everybody was kind of like, what? What is this? What's its purpose? What's but purpose? It, it's Why going, are they doing so, such a niche vehicle? It's going for a specific group, and you know that one's mainly the affordable Mercedes. I also get that, but that's just how I see this thing. I bet as, you it sells like crazy in California and Florida. I bet. I bet. Well, people I, are crazy in California and Florida. So <laughs> careful, we have one sitting at the table here today. What do you think? I, I mean, I obviously I'm, I'm down in Florida, so I didn't get to drive it or anything. But I mean, I could see, like you said, people in Florida. I mean, everybody's driving convertibles down there, and then just couple it with. How about SUV. you in convertibles in Florida? I mean, you don't have one. No, I don't. I I don't know. It kind of. I personally would. It just gets so hot I was gonna say, that it's it just hot yeah. For a if you had, if you were like. 
had it and you had two cars and you had one, you know, you could drive the convertible during the winter, that would be like the perfect time. But like now it's like 95 degrees down there and there's so much traffic, like you're stopping and going. It's just like you're just a hot, sweaty human mess that time of year. So <laughs> I, 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 I love basically seeing, you know, the first 50 degree day after the winter and, you know, everybody's got their top down, the heater cranked up full. Anyway, we're kind of digressing. Uh, the Range Rover Evoque convertible. It's an interesting vehicle. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> That's your ringing it's, endorsement from John Deere. It's an interesting vehicle that I'm sure has it its niche. It might not necessarily be the folks around this table. Um, we did a feature recently, Lauren, uh, at the uh, Simeon Foundation Automotive Museum up in Philadelphia. And I'd like to single that out and have you talk a little about it because, frankly, I am so jealous of you. I just can't stand it. So tell me about the shoot. So first of all, you're not the only one. I was posting on social media while I was there and everybody was just like hating me from afar. Um, so I got to drive a 1964 Shelby Cobra Daytona Coupe. Oh. I know. I was very nervous though. Do you know how much that car costs? Do you well, know really, like- What are there, six of them? There's, there's yeah, six, six of them. And the one at the museum is the only one that was made in America. So mm. it's, I was so, I was Here just, the keys. I, yeah. right? Like, yeah, I, and the, it's the Ferrari, be, the, was it the first American car that ever beat Ferrari in road racing? It's, some, it was, it's some, some, something, something like, that. like that, yeah. But Carroll Shelby's um, one of his masterpieces. Yeah. And um, if you don't know about the, the Simeon uh, Automotive Museum, it's near the Philadelphia airport, and it's one of the best-kept secret it, around. It really is. It's like, a I didn't pretty even, spectacular I didn't place. even know when we were when uh, Dave was driving me there. I was like, where are we even going? It's just like in the middle of a bunch of warehouses. Yes. It's really nondescript, but you could spend all day there. It's always is, the best place. I know. It's like a hidden, hidden gem. They yeah. have great. Just they have, all their cars are high performance cars. Mm -hmm. Many of them are in a, when I say original condition, I mean the condition they got after they were campaigned. Yeah. So they're uh, fairly unrestored cosmetically. They're restored, I think, mechanically. Uh, but to have a chance to drive one of the rarest cars on the planet. I know. I, I know well, all the everybody that was with you was just was, as jealous as I. Yeah. Am. Well, and it was even more nerve wracking. You actually got to drive. I got it. to drive. She did it. not just sit in it, no, folks. She actually. I, like, and you didn't stall I, it. I, didn't, I am so I proud know, of you. I know. I was. Wow. I didn't stall it. I didn't crash it into a fence. And then when I was driving it, all the people who were at the museum saw that a car was running, so they're all like coming out and watching me. I'm like sweating. I'm like, oh my god. Like I'm just gonna like besmirch the Motor Week name and just like go. Oh. That's my but, job. Well, Dr. <laughs> Fred Simeon, that, that, uh, it's, it's a collection of Dr. Fred Simeon, and he is a, a remarkable human being, and the great thing about this museum is all of the cars are driven routinely. Yeah, everyone in the museum yeah. runs. I think there is something, like, I think he said he has like 65 cars in the yeah. museum, and they all run. They're all in yep. running condition, and so uh, that's a feat in of itself. Way to go. Okay, uh, our lightning round. Two minutes to debate a trending automotive topic. When time's up, we're going to hear something that resembles a bell or a buzzer. What do you got for us, Greg? Uh, ding, ding. All right, That's Apple just announced. Uh, Apple announced their new ISO 11, which will be out this fall for iPhones and iPads, or OS, iOS 11. Do not disturb while driving is a feature. It is an opt-in feature. In other words, you have to hit a, uh, the screen and make it work. When it is working, if you get a text or a call, it will simply send out a uh, pre-done message that basically you'll call them or text them when you get back. It is the first time that uh, a phone uh, 
software maker or a phone maker has had a dedicated um, system to help combat distracted driving, although Android apparently has had a variety of things that kind of work around the, the issue. Is anybody going to use it, do you think, and will it really work? Because this is Some purely this is purely it. something that you have to decide to use. At first, when I first heard about this, I thought that it was going to just happen. As yeah. soon as you plugged your phone in, it was going to recognize that it was that you were moving, that you're within inside of a, a vehicle. And I was I was upset because you know you're taking my freedom away. But then I started thinking about it when I when I reread this question. So and, I had my big gulp. And, and I, I I think it's a it's an amazing feature, and I almost wish that it wasn't opt-in that it would just happen automatically i'm getting so sick and tired of driving on a two-lane road and having people come at me and swerve into my lane oh, yeah. it is getting ridiculous and something has to be done about it it is really really a big problem distracted driving is now the number one cause for automotive accidents and deaths on the highway are there already i know i get a lot of, i'll I'm text sure there somebody some there's apps. i don't know if it's either from the car or from an app or from but there's already stuff out there so yeah. i don't know i i what i thought was missing from apple's announcement was the fact that they would be able to say and parents you will be yeah. able to activate this on your your children's yeah. iPhones they didn't say anything about that they're making this fully voluntary and if you're in the passenger seat you can reach over and hit it. Well, I can, the driver too can too, I guess, if they want. Uh, I guess what they're looking at is is cutting down the people that only are responding because they think I got a text, I got to get back to it immediately. That otherwise we might be more rational about it. I don't know. I do know a bunch of people that drive and absolutely refuse to ever touch their phone. So I do believe that there will be people that use this feature because they want to, to send them. that, to help them, to, help to send them. that message and say, hey, I'll get back to you when yeah, it's safe. Don't, don't try and get me for a while. Well, even if it just saved one life, I mean, yeah. it's worth it. So a good move. Ding, ding. Ding, ding. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh, Can't viewer, argue with that. Our viewer question, our Jack from Columbia of Maryland says, there's, there's uh, a saying about autos that one should buy a vehicle, not buy a vehicle within the first year after it has undergone significant changes. Because Toyota does produce cars of excellent quality, I'm wondering if that saying still applies to cars like the new Camry. What do you think? There's something else that's usually true about the first year that a car has undergone a major redesign. It may have a few more problems, but it may actually be more car than you will get later. And the reason is the moment a car is starts manufacturing, engineers are in there trying to figure out how to take weight and money out of the next year's model. And they all change things that were metal to plastic and plastic to fabric and et cetera, et cetera. So it can cut both ways. What do you think, though? In Toyota's case, would you uh, would you risk it? I think it still applies. I talk to, you know, we go on these press events and there's engineers. And sometimes they'll even have, if they've opened a new plant or whatever, they'll have the plant manager there that's going to build the car. I've talked to, I talk to those guys a lot. And I was recently talking to some manufacturer, not Toyota, about a vehicle that I was perhaps interested in. And he said that. He's like, yeah, why don't you, uh, if I were you, I'd wait a good six or eight months uh, before really? you buy that. Wow. So, yeah. A I mean, car, they only make. Cars are amazing complex. And they only make, they're in the prototype stage. They make they make fewer and fewer right. now because everything is simulated and on computers. So they only make maybe 50 or 100 cars before they get the assembly line cranked up. And things happen. They realize challenges aren't uh, as good as they could be or maybe this part would work better and. So, yeah, they do make minor changes those first couple of months. I think everybody does. 
So yeah, I think that's absolutely there's right. There's no replacement for real-world testing. I mean, you can do, like you said, a lot of it's computer simulated now, but until you get thousands of vehicles on the road and you start getting feedback, which actually now you get even quicker because of social media and everything, um, you just don't know what's going to go wrong, even if it's just a minor thing that you can just get do just a little bit better, like you said. So, yeah, I think it does still apply even for anybody. So, Jack, I think the answer is, uh, anybody else got anything else? Is, is if, you, if you can wait a few months, you'll be better off. Uh, I think what you've got to do is when you do go in, you need to say, take a look at that uh, door plate and see when the vehicle was manufactured. Yeah, get one that was built on a Wednesday. Yeah. Always the best cars. <laughs> Monday and Tuesday, That's people the, are yeah, still hungover. Thursday yeah, and Friday, Friday they're just Friday, trying to get it done to get to the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that helps, Jack. Yeah. Uh, any other rant and raves this week? We actually, you hit on one. I'm now noticing that people that are crossing the center line, it used to be it, it was mostly young folks in smaller cars. Now it's people in F-350s and Titans, and, you know, they're basically got, you know, gray hair like mine and probably even a little less than mine. This is an epidemic. And I don't know what you do about it. Uh, I know the government was talking about mandating a system in cars that would deactivate cell phones, but then they decided that if somebody got kidnapped or something, if the vehicle was moving, they wouldn't be able to to, to send out a, an alert, although I'm sure you could program it so 911 worked. Uh, but I don't know. I, I was, I'm very surprised that the, uh, the federal government under the last administration didn't follow through on that because they were threatening that. Any... Uh, Anybody else had any close calls lately? Or some, I was following or, somebody just yesterday, and it was actually, I think it was, I don't think it was a case of distracted driving, but it was an older um, an older driver. I could tell by the massive um, sunglasses. sunglasses. And, uh, yeah, I was just, just following along. We were, we were going. to get some hate mail. At a very slow pace. I mean, yeah, just, yeah, but it could have just been some 16-year-old yeah, following yeah, the most I might be, I might be stereotyping a little bit, but, uh, you know, I think that's uh, – Anyway, I'm not going to get into it. But, yeah, anyway, she uh, she crossed the center line several times and got way too close to somebody in the other lane. And luckily the oncoming car was paying attention and was rightfully upset. So, I, you know, I, I don't have an answer. I just hope everybody should just try to be better at what you do. Just try to drive better and pay attention, please. Especially in parking lots. It is so dangerous in parking lots. Because we want you around for the next edition of a Motor Week podcast. And a quick uh, uh, rant, right? Go ahead, please. Older so we can Daytime start. running lights might have been the worst things that automakers yeah, have ever done before. Lights. I've been on the highway twice in the last week, and people did not have their lights on. The one night it was raining, the car was black. Of course, nobody around is high beaming them or trying to let them know. And I'm always trying to help people out, you know. So I get up behind them. Yeah, I get up behind them, like not too close, but like I kind of, you know, I kind of come up and I turn my lights off, turn them on, turn them off, turn them on. They hit the brakes. Great. So then I high beam them. They start swerving. So I get in front of them. I turn my lights off, turn them back on, turn them off, turn them back on. They don't get it. And then I just drive away. I'm like, hey, man, I tried, but there's nothing else I can do for you. And so much for the uh, laws that say you have to have your lights on when your wipers are on. I, I never see those it, enforced. That's just work. common sense. Of course it is. And I know probably everybody watching this, you cannot relate to this because you're already on top of it. But and just for daily. You can't rely on your on the automatic headlights on either. Ooh, because it doesn't turn on the taillights. not sensitive enough. That's right. And also, yeah, also not sensitive enough. Yeah. But yeah, the main thing with DTRLs is it doesn't turn on taillights, tail you know, that, and people just 
they can't grasp what's going on. It drives me nuts. I uh, just wait till autonomous driving Good is point. here to stay. All right. That's it. That's it. We're done. Podcast 162. It's a good place to end. I think we've done everything we can do to this poor podcast. Brian Robinson, Greg Carlos, Zach Mescal, and Lauren Morrison, thank you very much for y'all all being with us. Thanks also to the production staff today, David Wainwright, who is our audio engineer, makes sure that even when I can't talk, we sound literate. Our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, Joe Ligo, and Greg Carlos have produced today. And on behalf of all of us at MotorWeek, thanks very much for watching us on your local public television station and on Velocity. Till next time, I'm John Davis for MotorWeek. Be careful out there. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, State Farm, and WeatherTech.